The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Does having um, mammograms at the at the recommended times and, and frequencies eliminate the need for self-examination? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say that they eliminate. I think the general... Um, agreement is that in the medical community is that women should still be aware of their their breath so um whether that's routine exam or just having a general awareness the woman is the one who knows her breath the best and so she can be she can be the one who detects any change before even her provider would feel the change so it is important for the woman for women to still be um aware of it because the earlier any change is detected you know, the earlier that it, it can be detected on imaging as well. You know, we know there's there's a direct line uh, between smoking and lung cancer, for example. Are there conditions, either habitual or environmental, diet, etc., that uh, contribute to the development of breast cancer? Um, so, uh, to answer that in several different ways, there are factors that we know about in terms of genetic history that certainly um, predispose patients with those specific um, known family mutations to a much higher risk of breast cancer. I think the other point that is important to realize is that we have seen a gradual increase, um, you know, since the 1940s, since far before screening began. Um, in the incidence of breast cancer. So what specifically about um, America is causing that? You know, I think in all likelihood, and I, I don't claim to be a, a master of, of this sort of um, realm, but in all likelihood, our diet, our lifestyle, um, those sort of things likely contribute to higher rates of breast cancer, say, in our country um, versus other countries that don't have maybe quite a sedentary, sedentary lifestyle, quite, um, you know, the, the, the typical American diet. So, you know, those things certainly can play into breast cancer risk, and um, some of them overlap with other very important health outcomes, too, in terms of cardiovascular disease. Um, importantly, though, I think um, my view is always that... Um, looking for, for a single underlying thing doesn't necessarily 
help the patient get through the process. And thankfully, so many women do so well with modern detection of cancer um, and with modern treatment of cancer that outcomes for breast cancer just are, are astronomically different from where they were, you know, a generation or two ago. Um, and that is, is even more of a reason to me uh, to make sure we're doing everything right to, to maintain that trajectory. Um, when you say that, it, can you can you quantify that at all? It has has mortality for breast breast cancer um, all but disappeared? Uh, it hasn't disappeared, but it's significantly reduced since the um, since the implementation of screening mammography. You know, kind of in the eighties and nineties, there is absolutely a um, you know, 30 to 40% reduction in mortality. Um, of course, modern treatment is also part of, part of that component as well, but it is undeniable that screening mammography saves lives. What do we know about cancer now that we didn't know years ago uh, from all of the, the testing that, that we've done and been able to do and the, the continuing research, is there, I mean, we know there are these these things that we do that, that can exacerbate them, but are they actual causes or is the actual cause more genetic and, and things that we do like bad behaviors, bad diets and lack of exercise and so on exacerbate it? So, you know, I would say on the treatment side of that, um, certainly many of the scientific breakthroughs of the last um, several decades have been very specific to um, some of the what are called receptors on breast cancer cells. Um, two of the most important um, newer, relatively newer drugs that have had uh, significant impact on improving breast cancer patients um, outcomes are related to um, targeting those specific cell receptors, uh, something called the estrogen receptor, um, and also targeting something called HER2 new. The details of those aren't particular except to say that we've come a long way in treatment, um, and, and, and thankfully um, we've come a long way in imaging as well. Pam, did you want to weigh in on any of that? Um, I agree with everything um, Dr. Shock just said, and I think even on the imaging side, we're learning more and more about, um, you know, using more intelligent tools and things to identify um, certain characteristics on imaging that even maybe the human eye can't see. So I think in a few years down the road, we might be even better at detecting um, cancer and identifying women who are at increased risk based on certain factors. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of change. What are the things um, that that women should know and do, and and how best can they find out what best practices are? And you mean in terms of reducing risk and lifestyle? Yeah, reducing risk, um, early detection, um, all of those things. Is there a, a checklist to follow? 
I think it's just most important to stay informed and get as much information as you can and talk to your doctor to make sure that you are getting the right information. Um, there are several resources out there that talk about risk factors and breast density um, as well. And I think uh, just learning and understanding and um, how that applies to you is probably the best you can do. Um, there's not really one magical change that we can do to you know, reduce our risk overall, but there are little things, and I think just keeping informed and talking to your healthcare provider is probably the most important thing. What are some resources that, that women can use to learn more about what we've been talking about today? Are there, um, I, I don't know, websites that are, that are good one-stop shopping places for women who want to learn more about breast cancer and, and the things that they should and can be doing? No, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there are tons of resources uh, out there on multiple different sites touching on cancer risk and breast density. Um, one in particular, understandyourdensity.com, is one that women can go to to learn about breast density in particular and what they know, assess their own level of knowledge. Um, and there are lots of other resources as well. And, David, did you want to? add to that? I was just going to add, you know, I think your your regular doctor or frankly the uh, breast imager who, who has read your studies can be great resources. Additional um, resources can be found through the Society of Breast Imaging um, and also the ACR, um, especially, you know, if, if, um, if there are some providers listening on um, those are those are great places to sort of see some of the uh, the good data that's out there about the um, amazing things that uh, proper screening can do. Well, I want to thank you both for sharing your expertise and your time with me and the listeners this morning. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate it. All right. Take care and keep yeah. up the good work. Thanks. Okay. That was um, Dr. Pamela Habib, head of U.S. Medical Affairs at Bayer Radiology, and Dr. David Schacht, breast radiologist at Northwestern's Lynn Sage Breast Center at Prentice Women's Hospital. And with that, we'll have uh, more of the Tom Sumner program uh, straight ahead. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, there's been a lot of talk on this show and in media around the country about uh, 
about the workforce and changes in the workforce, some brought about, uh, many brought about by uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic and various uh, uh, quarantines and uh, business closures, et cetera, et cetera. But we're going to talk about some of the trends with somebody who follows it very closely. He is the Chief Operating Officer of University of Phoenix, and he joins me by phone. His name is uh, Raghu Krishnaya, and uh, Raghu, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for having me here. Pleasure to, to speak with you. Raghu, am I saying your name okay? I'm terrible with names. You're doing fine, thank you. Okay, um, but let's let's talk about this. I every few years we will hear someone start to push the notion that not everybody needs a college education; that there are other opportunities to uh, put oneself in in a good. Uh, position for employment, skilled trades, and, and other kinds of things. Um, what What is the real trend? Is, is it, uh, are, are people starting to look to other alternatives, or are we still on that everybody has to go to college path? We surveyed about 5,000 uh, employees throughout the country recently. And what we found is that overall they're very optimistic about their future and their future of their careers and where they would go next. About 80% said they were hopeful about the future. I think, though, a lot of them are also feeling, though, that uh, in the near term, they're a little concerned about what's, uh, what's happening. About 52% said they feel replaceable in their job, and 40% were worried about losing their jobs. Um, and, you know, and I think, you know, employees of all across the country felt that if they could develop their skills, um, they could, act, they would actually, uh, advance and they'd be more comfortable and, and more confident in their future. I think there's many ways to do so. There's more than one way to develop skills. College degree, as, as we've all seen, the data has shown people that have a college degree or develop some, uh, workplace skills end up earning a lot more than those who haven't. So there's a benefit to continue to grow and develop and, and, and learn new skills. Raghu, when you're calling this uh, this data that you're talking about, what do you think when you see uh, news reports and, and uh, other information about what's being called the Great Resignation? Yeah, I think there's, a, there's clearly a number of people who have decided not to continue on in the workforce or to change jobs in the workforce. And I think, you know, as part of the survey, we also surveyed employers. And I think part of the challenge is that the perception that employers have of what they're doing and providing and helping employees grow and advance in their careers differs when employees feel that they have the opportunity to do so in their careers. And so what, what we found as part of the research is that about nearly 70% of employees felt that they would stay with their employers. They wouldn't resign if they had more opportunities for, for growth and development and more opportunities to build the skills that they feel they need to be successful in the future. About 46% of employees today said they are not as skilled as they need to be. More with University of Phoenix Chief Operating Officer Raghu Krishnaya. Straight ahead. (music) 
everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with University of Phoenix Chief Operating Officer Raghu Krishnaya. Straight ahead. Do you think that that um, employees are are still uh, fighting for you know that that big promotion at work, or do you think the improvements they're looking for is is better pay and 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 more respect, more inclusion in decision making processes? I think it, it, it's a number of factors, not not any one particular one, but. The one you mentioned, uh, they want to be able to continue to advance in their career is one of the most important ones. Um, and like I said, nearly 89% of employees say upskilling, if provided frequently, would be very important for them in, in, uh, in staying with their company and improving their own optimism and, and satisfaction in the jobs and the companies that they work with today. Um, how long are people staying at companies? When I was when I was young, I'm I'm pretty ancient, Raghu, but uh, when I was a young man, it was not unusual for people to be at a company for 30 years, get a gold watch, and retire. Um, and, and I get the impression that, that people are turning jobs over much, much more frequently than that. What What is the, the new average? Well, I think it varies quite a bit. It depends on the industry and the company and, and so forth. Are there it's still people that go? Like are, are are there still people that that become lifelong employees of a of a particular company? No, absolutely. So you know, as a university, we also are an employer as well as a as a university and education institution. Just last night, we had dinner with employees that have been here thirty plus years, and it was fantastic. It's been fantastic to spend time with them and talk to them about what they saw when they first got here to what they see now. Our um, average tenure here at the university is one of the highest I've seen anywhere in the country. And I think a large part of it is that we spend a lot of time and energy making sure that our employees are able to grow and develop in their jobs. And that's what they all cited was that culture of growth that, uh, that you know, made them want to stay here and, and to spend their career here. You're... Um the data that you've been looking at in, in this recent research is indicating that, by and large, workers are pretty optimistic. What are things that make them not feel optimistic about their career trajectories? Is it simply just being stuck in the same job? So, yeah, I, I think... Uh Clearly, with the pandemic, people have looked to reevaluate what happens next and what they want to do next. I think that's, that's a big piece of it. But I think the bigger piece is they're saying is, can I be successful here in my current job? And can I be successful being able to move up to the next job, move up across whatever they feel like they want to do next and, and learn and develop next? And I think employers believe they're providing all the opportunities for employees, but they believe so more so than the employees feel like they're getting it. So I think it's, it's really a lot of it that employers and employees can do to sort of bridge this gap in perception that can, uh, can help them want to continue on and move forward around it. How much of that 
um, that divide between employees and employers is um, is is form and how much of it is substance is are are the opportunities really there and they're not communicating it back and forth very well or um, is is it uh, you know something more systemic than that? Let me give you a couple of stats that we've done in our survey yeah, and, please. and the research. Um, it, so what about the gap itself that exists? So one of the, one of the things we found is 88% of employers rate their own company's opportunities as perhaps feeling as good or excellent, yet only 59% of employees agreed to it. And 89% of employers said upskilling are provided frequently, but only about 60% of employees say these opportunities are provided frequently. So, Clearly, there's a difference here within it. I think, you know, one of the things that employers can do to, to help bridge this gap is make sure that the programs that they have in place are always available for employees and not just a one-off or something that happens on the side uh, towards it. Employees need to make, employers need to make sure that these opportunities uh, are always there and that not only that they're always there, but after an employee takes advantage of them, um, they are recognized for what they've learned and, for, and, and they are able to actually be able to demonstrate that in many ways throughout the organization. So I think it's important that, that employers take a big, a big stake and, and support the efforts that employers are doing to help, help grow. Is there, is there something going on in universities around the country with older people going back to college to update their their skills and their knowledge? There's definitely um, employees that are saying, I want to learn. I want to find many ways to learn. And I want the learning to be provided to me in multiple ways uh, through my employer. And like we as a university, we work with several hundred, if not say several thousand employers throughout the country today to help find ways to develop those programs and have them available for their employees on an on-demand basis whenever they, when they feel like they want to do it. And we, have, we provide everything from single courses to certificates to degree programs um, all the way through. And these, all these learning is aligned to the workplace itself. So if a person comes and takes that learning, they're going to be comfortable and their employer will be comfortable that what they learn can be applied and demonstrated on the job right away. Raghu, what is talent retention and who's responsible for it? I think everyone has responsibility. Both the employee and the employer have responsibilities around around retention. Um, and you know, skilling and upskilling and learning and developing is, is a big piece of that as well. There's other things, you know, clearly employees need to make more money. They need to be given the opportunity to take take on new jobs and grow. Example I always like to share is we as a university, as you know, are an employer as well as a as a teaching institution. And one of the things that we've done is we've realized we need to have a lot more capabilities in data and analysis, right? We have a lot of information at our fingertips. We need to make sure how we use it to help improve student outcomes and student satisfactions and make sure employers are happy with the learning that their employees are getting. We uh, opened up a lot of opportunities for our own staff here to go and develop these skills. And a, a number of people who's, who spent many years here working directly with students and helping them find the right uh, learning to take, help them try to figure out how to apply that in a career. They applied for this additional learning, um, and, they, and then they uh, went through the programs that we had, um, and they were very successful on it. And today, 
uh, we built an entire very large analytics team just from people who used to work here at the university in a different type of job. And they are they're much more happy with where they are today. They're doing the, the work that they enjoy. They're providing incredible value to our students. Um, and they're also these individuals are making a lot more money. So it's very beneficial for that. And it's one of the reasons why we have such long tenure among all of our staff. What are some of the skills that, that um, people need to have uh, to be more marketable going forward? Well, there's always, depending on the job you want, there's clearly a number of technical skills you have. But on top of that, there's uh, skills that we call soft skills, right? like leadership. How do you build leadership skills? Uh, communication skills. How do you build teamwork uh, and problem-solving skills? These things are as critically important, if not more so, than the, uh, than the technical skills that you have to develop on it. And the programs that, that we provide and help employers with combines both the technical skills that they need to do their job as well as soft skills that help them be very successful in their jobs. You know, proponents of uh, UBI or universal basic income uh, have been talking about there needs to be a change in the economy because technology is advancing in a way that um, robots and artificial intelligence are going to make it so that there are fewer and fewer jobs for humans to do. Um, is is that a, a, a real concern, and, and what should um, employees be doing to um, upskill and, and protect themselves from being technology to out of a job? Well, as you mentioned, clearly technology has changed the nature of work. I mean, I remember um, when we didn't have email. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of dating myself. <laughs> But email has completely changed the way we, we do work. Um, but it has not reduced the number of jobs at all. I think uh, I remember, I'm trying to remember where I read this, but it wasn't that long ago I read that technology has actually increased the number of jobs available. It just changed the nature of what those jobs were. Uh, take robotics, right? You know, robots that are going to come, they may, they may help us fill and complete tasks that many of us don't even like to do every day. But well, guess what? It's going to create a whole new slew of jobs we need people to help take care of the robots because, you know, they're machines. They're going to break down. Um, so I think the nature of work has changed and the roles that people are taking has changed. What it really means, though, is that as an individual, as an employee, or even as an employer for those people that you employ, you have to make sure that you are constantly learning. Learning is not something you do once and then stop. It's something you do every day. And you can learn many different ways. Taking courses is one way of doing it. Doing your job is another way of doing it. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot that you can learn on the job to build new skills as you're doing your job. And I think, you know, as employers find ways to help recognize those skills and employers can start demonstrating that and visually show others what they've done, um, you're going to see that uh, technology is going to, it's just going to help them be more happy in their job and be able to uh, continue to grow in advance. Raghu, can you give a, a couple of different examples of, uh, uh, systems being done right, either employers that are doing an especially good job of um, providing opportunities for growth to their employees and 
And and then on the flip side of that, some some good examples of employees that are doing um, the right things in terms of positioning themselves for better opportunities. I think there's a number of uh, employers and employees who are doing fantastic in, in this, and, and you're seeing the success of that uh, automatically from it. Um, and it's not just one or two. They're talking about several uh, hundreds of thousands that are, that are doing it quite well. Um, you know, the employers that I see that do it extremely well, they have found ways to make sure that the employees are recognized for what they've learned and the proficiency they've achieved. And they themselves are going out and helping to promote internally those employees that have taken advantage of the learning opportunities, have shown that they can be successful in, in other types of jobs, and then give them the opportunity to go work in those jobs. Are there um, particular and, industries that that do that well, or is this something different from company to company based on management and leadership? It varies by company by company. It's, uh, it's no one particular industry that's better than others. It's also like anything else also varies by individuals in the company. And some take advantage of it more than others, but it's uh, it's 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 prevalent across across the, the country. And and what about the employee side of the inqua- the equation? Is are, are employees uh, going back to school, doing things, taking classes, doing the things they need to do to upskill and and better position themselves for what work will look like going forward? They absolutely are doing so. And as you can, you know, clearly from the number of people that go to school that are working that are also going to school. Just like all the students here at the University of Phoenix, they're, they're already working, have jobs, and they're attending school and, and learning, developing their skills as well. I think what employees should all do, though, to make sure that they can be successful and continue to grow in advance, is they have to view learning, upskilling, reskilling as part of their job, not as something that's ancillary to their job. They have to do it every day and think about it every day as something that they would need to, need to, need to continue to advance and grow. And they need to find a way to build those skills, and there's many ways to do that. Within your organization, clearly you can volunteer for, for assignments that come up in your own, in your own area. Um, you can join, join, uh, join groups that, that the employers would always have um, in, that can you know, help you promote your leadership in some of the other areas that you may not get in your current job. And I also recommend they look outside the company as well. You know, find a mentor. Find someone who can help advise you and provide you know, guidance as to what you can do help develop and grow those skills. I think employees can also, you know, really start thinking about their networks and help build the social capital that they need to be successful. And your networks aren't just what you do at work. Your networks could be your family, it could be your, your friends, it could be your, your community groups. All these are networks for you to help you help you identify the opportunities for you and what you need to do to be successful. So the employee can be can be as engaged as, as they want to be and the more they are, the more successful they're going to be. Raghu, this is a little parenthetical to the conversation we've been having, but uh, I've been reading a lot over the last uh, couple of years about student loan debt and different uh, initiatives to try and eliminate that or make that easier for uh, people to manage. The activity going on with that, some of it's somewhat political, but how is it impacting um, college admissions and uh, overall financing for uh, college educations. 
And so I think what's, what's what I found really uh, intriguing and, and uh, beneficial is that more employers are saying that they can help their employees pay for their schooling and their college and to advance within within that in their own uh, in their own careers. Many of the partners that we have, the companies that we work with uh, throughout the country, they will pay for the entire cost of the degree uh, for their uh, for their employees. Really. And we've also made sure, and we've also made sure that we've priced it so that's very inexpensive as well. So the employee ends up not having to pay a cent to go and get a bachelor's degree or, or a master's degree and so forth, or even a doctoral degree if they like. And the employer is, is willing to help invest within that employee to do so. Has there been any any uh, research or numbers crunched to see if um, if that is a wiser investment for the companies than the money they might spend on in-house training? So in-house training goes hand-in-hand hand with, uh, with this um, formal university type of training. I, we actually give, give uh, um, credit for students who take the in-house training. With our partners that we work with, we look at all the training that they provide, and if that training meets the needs for the jobs that people are going for, we'll give them the credit for it, and that saves the time for the individual and saves money for both the individual well, for the company in case it's paying for it because the individual can finish their degree program much more quickly. So in-house training is definitely a key component to overall learning that the, that the employee can take. Well, that's pretty fascinating. Um, since the... Uh pandemic and the advent of uh, Zoom meetings and Zoom classrooms and, and all of that, um, how has that impacted colleges around the country? And Ragu, was University of Phoenix uh, a little ahead of the curve on that one? Yeah, I think, I think uh, many individuals saw uh, how ready both colleges or even their, you know, their, their, their children's schools were to be able to give and provide an online type of learning environment. Uh, for the university, we've been doing it for decades. It became very, very common for us, and, and uh, uh, it was very easy for us. And we shared all our expertise uh, across country for free. Anybody who wanted to learn how to, how to develop and run a, a solid online learning program or to, to even work in a more of a remote manner, we shared that freely. Because, you know, for me, I think it's, it's good if everyone every single school, every single individual has those types of capabilities and skills because it is the world we live in now, as you mentioned. Do you think um, educators and and students have um, adjusted and adopted this and that online learning is going to be more the routine or are educators and students pretty anxious to get back to -to face-to-face? I think it's a mix, um, definitely. Like, yeah. I enjoy being face-to-face with people I work with, but we have most of our uh, time we spend uh, remote. And uh, so I think school is the same way. I mean, our students actually, nearly 100% of them, go to school fully online. Um, they may meet in person occasionally, but for the most part, they're spending all their learning online. It's a very good medium. It uh, works quite well, and there's things you can do online that you really can't do in person. Uh, that uh, gives you even, even a more robust learning environment. Um, this uh, information that we've been basing a lot of our conversation on, Raghu, came from the 2022 Career Optimism Index. 
is that report available someplace where people can can that are curious can really dig in and and read all of the findings? Absolutely, the uh, information is readily available. Uh, I just ask everyone to please go to phoenix.edu, and uh, you can find their re- research findings on the website. And while you're there, you can maybe sign up for a class. <laughs> Absolutely, definitely, definitely want to help anyone who's looking to advance in their careers. We're, we're more than happy to help them. Um, Raghu, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. And, of course, we just gave that uh, um, that email address uh, to or um, website to check out to find uh, more information about the 2022 Career Optimism Index. Um, but... Uh, are there some resources where people could do some research about what we've been talking about? Uh, um, you know, perhaps uh, opportunities to upskill that might be a little closer to home for them. So we 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 are able to send because everything about is online. We are able to teach people in their homes, uh, twenty four by seven. So they're well. I would say they recommend to go look there. Phoenix IEDU talks about all the resources that we have. I talked about all, it has news and information about um, what's happening in the marketplace, uh, the number of blogs we put there and our thought pieces, as well as the things they can learn. So I, I recommend everyone, please go to phoenix.edu and spend your time browsing and, and, and see what, what you find. Well, Raghu, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, and thank you for, uh, for spending time with me. All right, take Appreciate care. It. Bye-bye. That was um, Raghu Krishnaya, who is the Chief Operating Officer of University of Phoenix. We've been talking about the 2022 uh, Career Optimism Index. Uh, Raghu um, earned a BS and an MS degree in electrical engineering from MIT and an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, and as I mentioned, he is now the Chief Operating Officer of University of Phoenix. We will have more of the Tom...
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney General and we got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickerson. This day will go down in history as precedent-shattering. John Bickerson is smiling. Despite the lateness of the hour, the fact that he has had perhaps the hardest day of his life at the office, John Bickerson is smiling. Why? Tell us, John. Two weeks vacation with pay. Wait till I tell Blanche, brother, how I've longed for this. I'll sew myself into the bed sheets and sleep for ten days. John? Oh, Blanche, how is my beautiful wife? What? Would you like me to bring you a glass of milk and a cookie? And here's a little present for you. You look wonderful, honey. Oh, this is awful. What's the matter? This morning I burned my hand on the stove. I ripped my only pair of nylons. My inlay fell out, and now you come home drunk. What are you talking about? I'm not drunk and you know it. Then why are you so nice to me? What's the use? When I come home tired, can't smile, she beefs. When I come home and try to be pleasant, she accuses me. Put out the lights. You're not going to bed with your shoes on. Yes, I am. I work like a horse. I might as well sleep like a horse. Why did you bring me a present? What have you been up to, John? Bring his wife a present. Oh, stop it. A husband doesn't bring his wife a present unless he's done something wrong. I've brought you a million presents and I've never done anything wrong. Never. Not since the day I married you. I wish you'd let me sleep. Sure. Sleep. That's the easiest way out when you've got a guilty conscience. Blanche, I tell you, I haven't got a guilty conscience. Then why did you buy me an expensive present? It isn't an expensive present. It's the crummiest present I could find. I could believe that, all right. What is it? Why don't you open it and see? I bet you've gone and thrown away your money on some stupid thing I can't even use. Oh, you can use it fine. A home beauty outfit. It's got everything, just what you need. Wrinkle cream, freckle remover, hair darkener, false eyelashes, chin reducing strap. What kind of a present do you call this? What are you hinting at? How did I know what was in it? Nobody would use this but a homely woman. Oh, that's not true. All women use it. They do not. Only the homely ones and I wouldn't touch it. The sales girl in the drugstore said she uses it all the time, and she's not half as homely as you are. What? I mean, you're just as pretty. And that's just about what happened. You walked into a drugstore, saw a pretty face, and didn't know what you were buying. I didn't look at her face at all. If you were going to buy me a present, why didn't you buy me something I could use? Why didn't you get me an ounce of taboo? What's that? My favorite perfume. Well, you've got a dresser full of perfume. Taboo, Sabu, Snafu, Sterno. Enough perfume for any woman alive. Look at those bottles. They're all empty, and it's all your fault. You left the corks out, and it evaporated. I leave the cork out of my bourbon, don't I? Well, what about it? That never evaporates. You never give it a chance. I don't see why I should have to do without because of your nasty habits. What do you think makes a thing dry up, John? Wish I knew. Don't be so funny. 
Oh, I'm not funny. I'm sleepy. You know I worked at the office 18 hours without a let up. That's what you said you did. That's what I did. I did it for what I thought was a good reason, but now I'm sorry. Why? Forget it. What is it, John? What happened? (gasps) You lost your job. I didn't lose my job. I got two weeks vacation with pay. It's the first vacation I've had in seven years and I wanted to enjoy it. But no, you wouldn't stand for that, would you? How can you say that, John? Of course I want you to enjoy yourself. Where's the money? In my wallet. Two whole weeks pay. Now, do you mind if I rest? You know, John, I haven't had a vacation either. A change of scene will do us both a world of good. If you're so tired, there's only one thing in the world for you to do. He's doing it. Where did he say that money was? Oh, here it is. Two weeks' pay. Blanche, put that money back. Oh, I I thought you were sleeping, dear. What were you doing with that money? What's the matter, Blanche? I'm not doing anything. I'm just counting it to see if they gave you the right amount. It's the right amount. Put it back and go to sleep. You needn't talk like that. I wasn't going to steal it. Who said you were? Just like you to make a crack like that. I didn't make any cracks at all. Go on. Call the police. Have me arrested. Put me in prison. Nobody's putting you in prison. They'll lock me up in solitary confinement. Rats running all over me in my cell. And I stand helpless, shaking, behind iron bars. No way to escape. Blanche. Oh, why don't you send me a hacksaw, John? You're getting hysterical. Well, don't go accusing me of taking your money. It's half mine anyway. It's all yours. All I want is sleep. I don't see why we can't go away on a vacation for a few days. You go. I told you I'm going to do nothing but sleep for the whole two weeks. You'll have to get up sometime. Not even once. How are you going to collect your unemployment insurance? What unemployment insurance? You're going to be out of work for two weeks. You can't collect unemployment insurance if you've got a job. If you're not working, you haven't got a job, have you? That's different. Why? I don't know why. Nobody does it, that's all. Well, what's the good of unemployment insurance if you don't get any money when you're unemployed? Being on vacation is not the same as being unemployed. Don't tell me. What? Clara's husband, Barney, has never had a job his whole life, and he collects his unemployment check every week. He can't collect any checks if he doesn't work. I thought you said they only pay you when you don't work. That's right. But you have to work before you can be out of work so you have a legitimate claim for the money you earn that you don't get. I don't get it. Oh, leave me alone. And I'm telling you now, John, you've got two weeks off and you're going to do one of two things. Do you hear me? I hear you. Either you start collecting your unemployment insurance or else you fill in those two weeks with another job. Another job? This is my vacation. I don't care. It won't hurt you to work those two weeks. And we could use the money. Okay, I'll get another job in the morning. You say it, but you won't do it. Do it now. What? Go on. Get up. Get a job, you loafer. What kind of a job can I get at 2 o'clock in the morning? What's the matter with being a night watchman? I won't do it. I won't do it. You've got no right to deprive me of my two weeks off. I don't care what happens. I won't get another job. All right, then. Promise you'll take me away on a vacation. There's no way out. I promise. Will you swear? Every minute that we're away. I know where we'll go. Lake Tahoe. 
I'll only have to buy a few more dresses and you can wear your dungarees all the time. Okay. Just tell them you came in from fishing. And if it gets cold, I've got just the thing. Let me show you what I picked up on sale yesterday. I don't want to see it. Just look at this, John. Isn't it stunning? What's so stunning about a bath rug? It's a fur cape, silly. Well, where's the fur? Well, that's the way it's supposed to look. It's the very latest style. Sheared beaver. Sheared beaver? It's been clipped. So have I. You have not. This is worth every penny, John. You know I'm a good judge of furs. Oh, sure. The past two years you bought a bald mink and a plucked skunk. Well, what's wrong with them? The mink stinks and the skunk shrunk. Blanche, how much did you pay for this one? Only $94. $94? Oh, Blanche, you didn't. Get that money back, you hear me? Get that money back. Don't get hysterical. As soon as the... Blanche, how could you do this to me? I deny myself everything. I've been sewing heels on your old pocketbooks and wearing them for shoes. I've been eating the padding out of my overcoat shoulders to save on breakfast cereal. I don't even drink my bourbon anymore. I just chew the cork and hit myself on the head with the bottle. I never spend a nickel on myself. You bought a bag of popcorn yesterday. That wasn't popcorn. My teeth fell out from malnutrition. I'm warning you, Blanche. Blanche, you're not going to get away with it. What do you want? Hello, Bickerson. This is Mr. Guernsey. Yes. uh, Oh, hello, Mr. Guernsey. I hate to be calling you at this hour, Bickerson, but something very urgent has come up. What happened? I just received word that our Chicago plant burned down, and we weren't covered. This morning, I filed bankruptcy proceedings, and I'm closing up for good. What? I trust you'll find a new position, and I do wish you good luck. Well, uh, thanks. By the way, Bickerson, would you mind sending back that two-week salary I gave you? I need every penny I can scrape together. Yeah, um, sure, I'll send it. Uh, goodbye. Well, did you hear that, Blanche? No, what was it? My boss, Mr. Guernsey, I lost my job. (gasps) Wonderful! Wonderful? What's so wonderful about it? Now you can collect your unemployment insurance. Oh, Blanche. Good night, John. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's in incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. 
If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. Oh, super bad, transmittable. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.